0: Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, a bi-monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. The show is typically produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota, but for this installment we had to work from our home setup in the Freeform Freakout bunker. But here on the Foxy Podcast, though, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and present. And welcome to episode number 160 of the Foxy Podcast show. I hope you're all doing well out there wherever you're listening from. Given the lockdown orders and not having access to the usual studio resources, been sort of holding off on doing a full-fledged podcast show for about a month now. But after working on those weekly stay-at-home editions that you may have come across, figured I'd go ahead and give it a try. Recognize that the sound quality may not be quite as good as usual, but I think the strength of the material in this show will come through clearly as we do have a special feature for you. Behind me right now you're hearing a piece from Oren Ambarchi's album Grapes from the Estate that originally came out on the Touch imprint back in 2004. It was later reissued on vinyl on Southern Lord a few years later, and then again more recently on Black Truffle Records, a label that Ambarchi started in 2009. If you follow the area of music that we typically cover here on the show, there's probably little need for much of an introduction to Ambarchi's work. Now in his third decade actively making music, he has issued numerous records across a host of well-regarded international labels, such as the aforementioned Touch, along with editions Mago, Stop Gold, Bow Evil, and many more. In addition to his solo recordings, he's perhaps made a name for himself the most through the vast array of collaborations he's been involved in, both on record and in performance. His ongoing tree with Keiji Hano and Jim O'Rourke Being a standout project in recent years, whose recordings have been coming out on the almost annual basis through Black Truffle. I recently had a chance to speak with Oren over Skype about his work in running Black Truffle and how the label has developed over the years. We also discussed some of his own music and collaborations and what it's been like trying to be creative during this time of a global pandemic. You'll hear that interview throughout the show, along with a broad overview of some of the various releases that have come out on Black Truffle. Before we get into the interview segments, I'm going to play a few tracks from some of the earliest albums to come out on Black Truffle, starting with a short piece from Afternoon Tea, which was a collaborative release featuring Oren, Christian Fenez, Pimmon, Peter Rayberg, and Keith Rowe. This is simply called No Title. Well, you mentioned in other places that you initially started Black Truffle as a way to reissue some of your out-of-print titles that you could probably have as things to sell at shows. And at what point did you start to consider expanding Black Truffle into more of a a full-fledged label?
1: Well, yeah, initially it was uh, kind of frustrating releasing stuff on other labels and you kind of get... 10 or 20 copies and then that's it so a lot of times at shows people were always asking if I had stuff for sale and I never did and um, so I just thought about two old things that were out of print and put them out on CD and with no distribution whatsoever literally just to sell at shows and um, forced exposure found out about it and they kind of ordered almost the entire pressing of each <laughs> and um, then I sort of defeated the purpose of having stuff to sell at shows, but it kind of made me go, Oh, okay. People are kind of distributors are kind of interested, but I still didn't really want to start a label per se. Um, and then a year or two later, I was thinking about reissuing afternoon tea, which was a thing with Keith Rowe and Christian Fenez, Peter Rayberg and
0: him. Yep.
1: And, uh, That had come out on a Mill Plateau-affiliated label many years ago, uh, probably in 2000. And um, I was playing a show in Cologne. And after the show, there was a guy at the bar who was this Canadian guy who was connected to Mill Plateau back in the day, who I kind of knew a little bit. And he was working for Compact Distribution. And he was quite drunk. And I was a (laughs) little tipsy as well. And we just started talking. He's like, oh, I remember that record, Afternoon Tea. That was a good one. Blah, blah, blah. And he sort of said, I sort of said to him, oh, you know, I'm, I was thinking of reissuing it on my label. And he just said, oh, what label? And I said, oh, it's not really really a label. It's more just this kind of DIY thing. Um, and I told him about it and he kind of got out a napkin and there and then we signed this sort of contract on the bar. <laughs> and he you know, I work for Compact Distribution. How about we manufacture um, oh, okay. your releases and distribute them for you? And I kind of didn't really understand, you know, what it what it entailed. But we did this afternoon tea uh, reissue on CD, and it went really smoothly. And then I thought, oh, I, I just started this trio with KG Hino and Jima Rock, and I thought, well, oh, let's see if I can do this one on vinyl and i said would that be possible and they were like yeah of course and i said oh could we do it as a gatefold and they're like yeah nice we had a gatefold with inner sleeves and just went really <laughs> all out and that did quite well as well and it just went from there okay so it was just stuff related to me and then then i just thought of a few things that i loved that were unavailable and. Um, yeah, it just went from there. like pretty
0: right. Yeah, well, I think you kind of answered my, my next question about just managing the logistics of it all because, you know, as someone who runs a very, very small label, I'm just looking across the room right now at the boxes uh, in the corner where you've kind of had that nicely it panned out where you don't have to deal so much with all the hands-on stuff. So that's pretty huge. But in terms of just as someone who travels a lot and is touring a lot, I mean, is that... Tough to navigate some of the logistics uh, from a from a label standpoint.
1: It is, it is uh, for example uh, when there's a test pressing, <laughs> and I kind of have to work out where I'm going to be in the world, and is there a turntable where I am,
2: and
1: <laughs> right. stuff like that. And a lot of times, um, I might see a release for the first time in a record store, like actually see the finished product. <laughs> uh, pretty weird.
0: Right, right.
1: Um. But yeah, I don't have, I'm not like packing up, you know, packages and sending things out and Mm -hmm. dealing with that side of things, thankfully.
0: Right, Um, right. right.
1: So it is, I can kind of manage it while I'm on the road, you know. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, a lot of my records that I record are also recorded on the road as well, just from place to place. So it sort of of works with, with my lifestyle somehow. Right,
0: right. Well, as Black Truffle has developed over the years, you've reissued albums from some pretty, you know, seminal artists within the world of experimental music, while also working with artists who seem to be closely tied to your own, what I'd say your own musical orbit or kind of family of artists. So as you consider the label's catalog and each release, you know, has it been important for you to maintain some type of balance between these like older archival works with newer works from your contemporaries?
1: Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I think I'm trying to find a balance between those two things. And also, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the archival stuff, I'm trying to champion a lot of the the artists that I love, that Mm -hmm. some I I think are, you know, lack they they deserve more recognition. Um, Yeah, different motivations, you know, Mm -hmm. like the first, I think one of the earliest things I did was this Giancarlo Tonyuti release that was on Broken Flag, right? Mutazione, and um, that was kind of me not having the original of that album,
2: <laughs> and sort of
1: <laughs> going, "I'd really love to have that record," and and talking about it with somebody, and they were like, "Oh, I know Giancarlo; he's a really great guy. Here's his email address," and I just wrote to him, and then it just happened, you know? Right. Um, but then there's stuff like digging for like Paul Marinus's works and getting in touch with him after hearing some stuff and just just like being blown away by this treasure trove of, of stuff. And right, uh, right. Not, many, not many people know about sort of going in that direction a bit uh, with the archival stuff. But then, yeah, all these people that I work with and that are younger that I think are really special. And kind of un- underrecognized, and don't have a lot of releases out there. And if I can kind of help get their work out there that I love, um, then I'll try and do that too.
0: Right, right. Well, or I think it's
1: well, of course, because just, just you know, it's not like a. I don't think it's. I'm releasing stuff that's very flavor of the month or hip. It's just things that. <laughs> that I
0: enjoy that appeal to you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Hmm.
0: Well, I think it's been noted in several other pieces about you and your work that you are a lifelong music fan and record collector. I mean, you pretty much just outed yourself as wanting to release stuff because you want it in your collection. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, were there, were there specific labels over the years that, you know, caught your attention where you just took this deep dive into their back catalog and would essentially, buy whatever it was that they released regardless if you were familiar with the with the artist or not and i guess as a follow-up to that are there any of those labels that you feel share a similar spirit with what you're trying to achieve with black truffle
1: Mm. well i mean when i was a teenager um i remember getting into coltrane when i was 13 or so and then I totally dove into the impulse catalog for sure. If mm-hmm. I saw something, also I'd buy it, and discovered a lot of, you know, Ferris Sanders and Albert Ayler and stuff like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And at the same time, I was really into ECM as well. And I, that was a label where I would literally buy anything that was on ECM, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I was really, really hungry for for you know anything. Uh, a little different at that point, like growing up on rock music before that. Yeah. So um, yeah, I had all kinds of stuff, Um, but I remember being away from home somewhere and in my teens and the only, like a record store only had ECM stuff for some reason. (laughs) And I'm coming home with like loads and like 50 or 60 different ECM records.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Really easy to get.
0: Um, right,
1: at the time and very cheap so
0: yeah it's been interesting to see that label has had a bit of a resurgence here in the last few years
1: yeah I'm finding it kind of amusing to see it. <laughs> also bizarre to see some of that stuff just really expensive in a record
0: store <laughs> right.
1: you know when I was growing
0: up right right I could
1: buy FMP records in Australia for five to six dollars when I was in the 80s you know
0: yeah right right yeah Uh, well i'm gonna i'm gonna play some tracks here in this first set of music from a few of the newer releases by artists that you've collaborated with over the years or i guess some of the people that i strongly associate with black truffle uh some of those like extended family if you will um i'm gonna start with something from francis plon's work called rural objects which you released digitally actually um not only has his music appeared on the label over the years, but he's been pretty actively involved uh, as a person who writes extensive album notes for, for many of the releases. Yeah. And I, I know that people can go and instantly stream and preview tracks now and kind of make up their mind about a release. But I feel like the type of writing that he's been doing for your releases is really pretty vital in terms of you know establishing context and a, a deeper appreciation uh, for the work itself, so I was just wondering if that was something that for, it, that you've had discussions with him about how to present these, uh, these works um, in you know kind of breaking free from that standard one-sheet formula of hype, if you will.
1: I mean, Francis is an incredibly talented artist, but also very, very intelligent and thoughtful uh, writer. And super informed. Um, mm-hmm. And he's not a hype guy at all. I mean, he's the opposite. He's a very right. mild-mannered, uh, meek kind of guy. But just really, we're really on the same page uh, with a lot of our tastes. And um, he's really, I don't even need to give him much direction with when mm-hmm. it comes to a press release. He just gets it. And he's just, everything he writes is so perfect. So right. really integral, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah that because not many people speak about that that
0: stuff yeah well I mean I just know from reading those uh, you know pieces of information that it makes me want to hear those records regardless of what it is like it draws me into that
1: fantastic that's great to hear
0: well let's play something so this is from Francis plans release rural objects this is just a piece called number two So how does your own musical output factor into what you're doing with Black Truffle? I mean, for example, your most recent solo album, Simeon Angel, came out on Editions Migo. Do you, do you prefer to have your solo work coming out through other labels um, as opposed to being on Black Truffle? I mean, how is that for you in terms of, again, almost like striking a balance? You don't want it to be the Orin Ambarchi label. You want to, Use take advantage of other uh, places or outlets to to release your work?
1: Yeah, I kind of I'm kind of pulling back a bit from it being this sort of vanity, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, project label, I guess. And um, a lot of the stuff of mine that I have released on the label collaborations like the ones with Castle Yeager and James Rushford, Uh um, the ones with Hino and Jim. Um, and then a lot of the solo stuff that I have released on the label are either reissues of older things or kind of fun stuff like uh, the stacked carrier care records mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> There's
1: one thing of me with a, a classical ensemble as well that I put out um, yeah I'm just I think I'm consciously separating a lot of my solo work uh, and working with, more established labels like Editions for, right. for much for, for that stuff.
0: Right, right. Well, an artist that you've worked with quite a bit in recent years is Alvin Lucier, um, not only reissuing his recordings, but performing some of his pieces, too, over the last couple of years. So I guess first, can you explain just the mental focus and the physical exactness that it takes to perform? A lucier composition i mean i i can't even imagine what that's like to do and i guess as a follow-up to that what has it been like to work alongside someone like him who i mean you know in his 80s is still creating and pushing himself i mean actually he's now 90 isn't that right
1: he's uh I think he's,
0: he's pushing that okay yeah i mean but i mean still you know creating Vital work. I mean, that's so go back into the back to the first question. I should say like yeah. what's that like? I mean, that's You could almost be in like a, a, a Hypnotic state of some sort or hyper aware state.
1: It's a really interesting state because You're doing something that's that's physically Exacting I mean his music's so exacting and so precise, mm-hmm. um, That you're just hyper aware of everything um, mm-hmm. like you move your body just a little bit, it's just going to throw, it could throw the whole thing off. Right. And, um, it's going to really stand out if you, if you're not precise with what you're doing and, and potentially sort of topple the whole cards, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so it's very, very physically exacting and mentally exacting, um, and exhausting, But you kind of get into this because it's so beautiful and so hypnotic. It's a weird kind of state you get into. I've been Mm -hmm. in states where I've almost nodded off while I was playing his music. (laughs) I think I was concentrating so much and so in the zone, um, just in the zone of the music. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, uh, incredibly stressed (laughs) and not relaxed at all. You know, like it's kind of like this weird um, combination of those two things. And I remember once, um, yeah, one of my early experiences playing one of his shows, I walked off the stage and Charles Curtis was walking on the stage to play the next piece. And I just, I was like shaking my head, you know, um, going, oh my God, that was so (laughs) tough, you know, and so stressful. And he just put his arm around me. He said, that's Alvin.
2: You
1: know, it's kind of like he just makes these pieces that sound so gorgeous and they sound uh, so kind of meditative, but they're physically and mentally really, really tough to, to perform and very right. challenging.
0: And, and again, as how has that been working alongside someone like him who's been active, you know, for so many decades? What have you taken from his work and his process that's maybe spilled over into your own work as a as a recording artist
1: i mean i was super influenced by his music way before i started working with him and Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of my earlier releases definitely uh a lot of the stuff i was doing was really inspired by him just having um, kind of pure guitar tones that almost almost sound like a sine wave um, which is something that he works with obviously for many many years um coexisting with acoustic instruments like bells and just having these things that are sort of slightly you know some in tones and things like that happening, but not as uh i don't know maybe not as um naked as when alvin does it it's it's, but yeah. I had elements of that happening in my music, but it wasn't like highlight the way he highlights those things um so when I started working with him. Uh, it was such a thrill I mean it was just to see um, especially in there's a record that's going to come out uh, in the next few months and it's a lot of the guitar pieces that he's written and he's kind of in the last five years exclusively been writing a lot of pieces for guitar and the guitar the role of the guitar is almost replacing the role of the standing or the sineways that he was using mm. for the last 20 years. And
2: yeah, his,
1: I think he wrote this guitar piece called Crisscross for me and Stephen O'Malley, which I released on Black Truffle. But then after that, I think he became more interested in the guitar and he started adapting a lot of his older pieces and saying, Hey guys, how about you guys do the sine wave part on the guitar? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and kind of have to work out how to do that. Um, and not make it sound like a guitar and make it sound like a sine wave and, and
2: make right. it as
1: precise as possible. Hearing hearing that stuff with acoustic instrumentation and the way he orchestrates four different guitar parts with all these different acoustic instruments in these new pieces that unfortunately, yeah, you're not going to hear them until they come out, um, Right, is just so gorgeous and so beautiful. Um, where it is you know, super precise, super scientific, but it's absolutely beautiful. And you, I would kind of get one guitar part and work on that and try and kind of have that prepared before we would get together. But then actually hearing it in the context of all the other instruments and what he's done and the way things are reacting to each little, all the details of each instrument just blows my mind. It's so beautiful.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, a nice segue, because I'm going to start off this next block of music with an excerpt of Criss Cross. Um, I'm going to take the the piece or the excerpt that you put, put on the uh, Black Truffle at 10 compilation. I wasn't sure how to, it's tough with him, you know, I can't devote 30 minutes. So I thought that would be a good, uh, you know, taste for people to hear that uh, piece of music from him. I'm going to play some other reissues in this set of music and, uh, something from, uh, Ania Lockwood, Paul De, uh, Paul DeMarinus, and then the Rudy Hosterman one. I wanted to speak to about briefly before we jump into the music about that DeMarinus record. Cause I thought that is just so damn good. Like oh, that was thanks. like such a surprise, like, yeah. and it's a, and it's a really is out there and experimental as it is. It's also really quite accessible, too like there's some fun elements to that
1: absolutely yeah that record i i heard the the cd on lovely called music music as a second language i think that's the title and um then i realized you know that he was involved with automatic writing and and with um the ashley record on cramps and i sort of started looking into this person like wow this guy's really interesting and there's not a lot of material available
2: mm-hmm.
1: um i'm trying to remember who i met who put me in touch with him i think arnold dryblatt put me in touch with paul and um we just started corresponding and then he just started sending me material that hadn't come out or you know some of them had come out on cassettes or on odd compilations and i was, it just blew my mind um mm-hmm. And I was just convinced that this record would just, you know, go to number one, you
2: know, (laughs) because it was
1: (laughs) kind of accessible and fun, like you said. And um, I just loved uh, having people over with Chris and playing them this material. We'd just all be smiling and laughing and just enjoying it. It's very infectious. It is, yeah. The completely weird and experimental and odd. Um, I love those two. The way those things coexist in his music.
0: Right, absolutely. Well, let, let's get into this block of music again. We'll start off with this excerpt from Alvin Lucier's uh, "Crisscross." Here.
3: Rrrrrr (laughs)
4: La 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 ma, la 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 I coco coco play
5: blade, coco coco, Co co lay 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 May, lay 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 I me, 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 I me, me, me,
4: me, ko, me, 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 me,
6: I I me me
5: me me I me me me
4: me 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 mea me 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 mea yama Ia
6: ia ia ia
5: ia ia Co-co-lay, co-co-lay, co-co-lay,
4: co-co-lay, me, 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 For my co-plem, I go for my papa, yama, me, old, my shitty, good, yama. For my co-plem, I go for my papa, she miss me,
5: Chocolate, pupumi, me,
4: pupumi. Chicapat, my pleasure, I'm to I'm to I'm to
5: Go for me, go for me, go me, go for me go lay go me go me 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 me
4: me 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 me, 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 yama, me, I, yama, me, 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 I, ye,
0: I see that you're listed amongst the roster of artists slated to be on touch records, new isolation subscription series. So I was interested to know, you know, since you've arrived recently in Berlin, right, right when the world went on lockdown due to this pandemic, um, you know, have you found the time and are been in the proper headspace to continue to create music or has that been quite challenging for you right so far?
1: To be honest, it's been quite challenging. Um, mm-hmm. And I haven't done much music since the isolation thing. Mm-hmm. We don't really have a setup in our apartment um, to, to make music. Yeah. So all, like the track I did for the touch compilation, I did that here, but it was with existing recordings that I had that hadn't come out. And, and mm-hmm. I kind of constructed it here. Okay. Um, but I haven't made any new music since i got here and i'm not really i don't know like i've mostly been doing kind of admin stuff and label stuff Mm -hmm. here and just reading a lot and listening to records and eating good food (laughs) right i just haven't really been um, in the in the headspace yeah
0: yeah yeah understandable Mm -hmm. well with with performances and travel being restricted for the time being and and for who knows how long you know how has this altered your future plans and i guess as a follow-up as someone who collaborates so frequently with others you know all over the place does that you know have you thinking more about what you can accomplish on your own now or maybe with your immediate collaborator and partner chris
1: yeah i mean my my bread and butter is playing shows that's how i survive and i had uh loads. I was coming back to Europe and literally a week after arriving uh, doing a whole bunch of shows and obviously none of that's happening now. In fact, today, tonight I was supposed to work with Charlemagne Palestine and we were starting a new trio in Belgium. I was supposed to be in Brussels and we were doing a whole bunch of shows Um, because I do love collaborations and I do love situations that you know and new and challenging and um <clears throat> so i'm a little out of sorts um yeah because i really thrive on playing shows and thrive on collaborating too so yeah i'm just gonna have to think about the next move because who knows how long this is going to go on for and um i did kind of i started the bones of a new record um, a little while ago, and I kind of put it on the back burner. And maybe now's the time to to start developing that while I have the chance.
0: Right, right.
1: And I also um, played a show. We did a bunch of shows in Canada and the U.S. in February, and um, we played a show. Our first show of this tour was in a, in Nanaimo, in Canada, and um, very unusual situation with the guy who runs the venue records the gig and presses it up on vinyl um, oh, wow. which is insane I think he makes two to three hundred copies and uh, we need to to listen to that and, and maybe edit that for, for a release Sure, well. so there's stuff to do absolutely yeah. I have yeah. so, many, so many things that need to be mixed I've got loads of trio things with Keiji Hino and Jim O'Rourke um, yeah there's stuff that I can keep myself busy with for sure Right. Yeah.
0: But but certainly a, a different rhythm of life for you when you're used to like feeding off of that live performance energy, I imagine.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally, I mean, even when I make my records, studio records, I do, I love vibing off other people. And, you know, even if it's just someone who's engineering, um, I just like that inter- interaction
2: mm-hmm.
1: with people. And, and um, so, yeah, we'll see. <laughs>
0: Right. Well, when it comes to collaboration, is, is having some sort of prior connection with, with another musician an important consideration for you? Or or are you someone that's just willing to kind of throw yourself into situations and see what becomes of it? Like, you, you don't have to have that.
1: I, I mean, a lot of the stuff, I do like, um, I like both. I mean, a lot of times when I work with people that I haven't worked with before, it might be something in my head the pretend I might sort of be excited about the potential of something, you know, mm-hmm. what would it be like if I love what this person does that could work really well with this idea, idea that I have, which is totally like a fantasy. It might not even work <laughs> or you know, the idea that I have might be shit, you know, who knows? <laughs> but I want to try it out and see, and I'm totally cool with it going down a completely different path as well. Um, I'm part of the fun for me of making a record is, is being surprised and surprising yourself where it just goes down a a certain path that you didn't expect at all. And I think if it doesn't do that, it's not right. You know, it needs needs to just make me go, Whoa, how's this happening? You know, how did, how did we end up here? You know, that's when I kind of get excited and that's when I can kind of run with it from that Mm -hmm. point on. So, Yeah, often working with someone that you haven't worked with before is a really good catalyst for something like that happening.
0: Right. Well, continuing on this idea of collaboration and and, and maybe kind of circling back a bit to the record collector in you, (laughs) um, who's an artist, maybe living or not, that would be your dream collaborator? Someone that you think would challenge you both technically and creatively, but you think would lead to something pretty interesting?
1: Honestly, I've been asked that before, and, and I think it's more about a specific project. You know, if I'm thinking about a specific project, then I might think along those lines because sure. I'm really interested in so many different things. Yeah. Um, I'd I'd love to work with... David Berman for example because yeah. I, his music is so gorgeous and I kind of hear what I do kind of working with what he does and maybe creating something completely different as a result that's just a fantasy because I love his music so much you
0: know
1: <laughs> yeah, right. yeah I'd have to think about that yeah right I'm you're sure not gonna that...
0: you're not gonna hearken back to your teenage years and mention John Coltrane would that be too would that be too heavy
1: that would be too heavy man
0: <laughs> <laughs> right
1: i do i mean because i grew up listening to a lot of that music i do love working with people from that area um, mm-hmm. even though I don't, I don't really play that kind of music right. but I like hearing that stuff some a lot of that stuff somehow comes out in in what i do in a really weird twisted way that often might only be in my head you know it might not be obvious right. but it's definitely, definitely there
0: mm-hmm. well you recently announced that you you started a bandcamp page that will feature a bunch of your out-of-print stuff archival work other collaborative releases of yours many that haven't been available digitally before so as you consider the amount of material that you've put out over the years uh, i'm just wondering is how vast that back catalog is. I mean, do you have a fair amount of archival stuff that really hasn't made it onto records that will appear eventually on your band camp?
1: Yeah, I do. I have loads, but one of the biggest issues actually is that that because of this lockdown, um, all of that stuff is in storage.
0: Oh yeah. Um,
1: and, you know, we live such a transient life, Chris and I, that we can't carry all this stuff with us. So mm-hmm. I only have what I have with me right now, um, but I already have a few things on my hard drive that I'm gonna gonna put up on Man Camp soon. But if I really dig, um, there's like so much stuff. Like yeah. it's kind of insane. Yeah, like the more I think about it, I've got like a recording of Evan Parker, Keith Rowe, and me. And there's lots and lots of stuff. But yeah, we'll
0: see. definitely definitely something that people will wanna check out often as the the months roll by here and you'll be adding to it i would assume in the next year or two
1: yeah yeah slowly I'll, do, I'll get to it yeah yeah people have been wrestling me to do that for years and i've just been resisting it um i'm just i don't think digitally at all but i should i
0: guess I'm,
1: <laughs>
0: i get that i get that totally
1: yeah
0: well i guess kind of to wrap up here i mean you've you've addressed a few of these things where you've alluded to a few things that you have that you're working on. Uh, I guess in the months ahead, are there any upcoming releases or projects that you know you can, you can mention? I guess I guess we can't really talk about performances because that's essentially on hold for the time being. but other things that we could just speak to to kind of close things up.
1: As far as my own stuff, there's a, there's a duo with Lauren Connors that's going to come out on Family Vineyard uh and it was a recording of a show that we did in new york a couple years ago um okay. but as far as the label um there's a lot of stuff planned um that i'm really excited about in fact i've been working on a whole bunch of stuff today so there's this luciate double lp double cd um of, it's called works for the ever-present orchestra which is the guitar related orchestra ensemble that Sort of dedicated to playing his new works, and it's all pieces that he's specifically written for the group. Um, pretty excited about that because <laughs> we've been doing that for the last two, three years. Um, uh, there's an Indonesian gamelan composer from Bali that I'm releasing in the next month. Uh, his name's Dewa Alit, and he's really mind-blowing gamelan composer who uses um alternate tunings um it sounds a lot of it sounds electronic and it's completely acoustic chris and i were in bali last year and we we hung out with him and saw him rehearse with his ensemble and it was so special Mm -hmm. that's going to be out quite soon uh i'm doing an eiko ishibashi solo record it's really fantastic and kind of like a weird it's got concrete elements um it's very odd mm-hmm. uh Jimbo plays acoustic bass on it joe tully plays drums but it's got a very collage kind of vibe um what else is there i'm doing an arnold dryblatt 90s uh live release so stuff from the animal magnetism era mm. um that's never been released uh live mm. stuff they're the next few
0: that are coming up. Yeah. So you've got plenty to keep you busy, it sounds like. Um, yeah. I got crazy <laughs> <busy>. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I'm going to get this last block of music started, and it actually comes from uh, your album with, with Chris, your, your partner and collaborator. It's from Hotel Record. I, this has me thinking that given your current situation, maybe the next one could be Apartment Berlin. <laughs> that could be the follow up.
1: Could be, could be. I prefer, prefer <laughs> if it was in Thailand like the last one, but you know,
0: what can you <laughs> Right, right. Well, this is going to be a pretty lengthy excerpt of the piece called Call Myself, and Oren, uh, thank you so much for taking the time and a very, very strange period of time in our lives right now. Absolutely.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank yes,
0: you. Yes, for sure. So here again is uh, Chris Cole and Oren Embarkey with Call Myself. I'm And that's going to bring things to an end for this installment of the show. I want to thank Oren once again for taking the time to chat with me during this very strange period in our lives. If you'd like to check out the complete playlist for the show, you can go to our website at freeformfreakout.com. There are links that will bring you to each of the releases played and where you can purchase a copy if you'd like. Or you can also head directly to blacktruffle.bandcamp.com. Black Truffle releases are also distributed through forced exposure here in the U.S., and through Medekeen and BoomCat overseas. If you have any questions or comments, you can always get in touch with me at fffreakout at hotmail.com. I'm hoping to be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode. Otherwise, I plan to continue to produce those hour-long stay-at-home editions for the time being, too. Keep you posted through our website and other social media outlets. For now, thanks so much for listening.